engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. I'm back. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. It is nine after the hour. The phone number is 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. I've missed you guys. We have so much news to get into. Let's deal with the caravan first. It has arrived at the Mexican border uh, in Southern California. Most of the caravan shifted that way as word filtered out that the president was sending troops to the border with Mexico. Uh, It was presumed accurately that many of those would go along the Texas border with Mexico because it is a frontier country. Uh, There is not fencing throughout. So they move more towards California and apparently through WhatsApp and other chat apps like that, secure apps, a lot of these people thought they could storm through barricades or could storm through car crossing areas and get into the country. We know this from a New York Times report that came out at the beginning of last week. I mentioned before I went on vacation that uh, they were these migrants, caravan members, whatever you want to call them, were illegal aliens, were coordinating on WhatsApp and were trying to coordinate uh, points where they could overwhelm security forces and move into the United States. And essentially, yes, dare I use the word, invade. Well, they found areas of the border wall that were not super secure. They tried to make their way through. The Border Patrol agents pepper sprayed them and they backed off. There is now international outrage about the Border Patrol pepper spraying these people who tried to forcibly cross into American territory without permission. Y'all, if you cannot defend your own border as a nation, you are not a nation. Uh, I get the outrage in some cases. There's a terrible story out of the Houston Chronicle today about kids who have been abandoned in these detention camps from the last time this happened who still have not been um, connected with their families again. But this is that is not this. This exact same thing happened in 2014, and Barack Obama's Border Patrol also fired pepper spray uh, and other materials into the crowds to get them to back off. The people who are hyperventilating in outrage about this now were not doing so then which obviously suggests there is a partisan motivation here. Uh, They are playing at stoking the fears and fury of people on the left and hoping to persuade people in the middle that somehow Donald Trump is not a nice guy. I have seen a lot of people on the left say, this is who we are now. This is who we are. We're just no longer a good people. Y'all, Barack Obama was using drones to launch cruise missiles at American citizens in foreign countries. Don't tell me this is suddenly who we've become. This is who we've been all along, if you take that position. The people who turned a blind eye to Barack Obama using cruise missiles to blow up American citizens without due process are suddenly outraged by a lack of due process for people who aren't even American citizens trying to get into this country. Uh, That's what's going on here. And this is the mind-numbingly frustrating thing about it is that it is all political. It is all political. If Barack Obama were president, the exact same thing would be happening, and the people who are outraged right now would not be saying anything. And we know this, and I can say it definitively, because it already happened. 
and these people were silent at the time. It's not like it wasn't known. It was reported in the uh, the San Diego Tribune. It was reported in the Austin American Statesman. It was reported in a number of newspapers around the country at the time, and no one on the left said anything. People on the right were actually shocked that Barack Obama was defending the American border. Suddenly, Donald Trump does the exact same thing, and there is total outrage. It is nonsensical. It is frustrating. It is less than honest on the part of those who are outraged. So here's the solution to this. If we really want to be honest, and I don't know that people on either side really want to be honest about the situation, uh, and this isn't really my idea. This has been out there by multiple parties, and it is true. We just don't talk about it. Conservatives are very fixated on building the wall, and I am in the camp that thinks we ought to build the wall. I don't know how much good the wall will do, and I think it may be a waste of money, but I think there would be a cathartic experience of finally securing the border. I do think, however, that there is a lot of technology that could be used to secure the border. And if you look at the the compromise that Republicans made back in 2015 on an immigration bill, uh, it was uh, Bob Corker was involved with it, the senator from Tennessee. They would have been able to place a border patrol agent every thousand feet along the Mexican border from California to the Gulf of Mexico and and cover their shift changes. So four agents per spot every thousand feet. And we couldn't even agree on that. I think both sides like to keep this issue alive in order to try to fire up their bases. I mean, Republicans and I'm one of them. I, I, I want the border wall. But I do recognize Rick Perry has spoken about this. In fact, Rick Perry spoke about this at the resurgent gathering this past year in Austin, that there are plenty of high-tech ways that we could even more heavily secure the border. But the larger issue is why are the people coming here? And that is the big issue. Why are they coming here? Yes, there is some organization and collaboration to get people to come here. But that only goes so far. Most of the people who are trying to get here are fleeing terrible situations in Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, Venezuela, and other countries in Central and South America. The United States of America used to have the Monroe Doctrine. The Western Hemisphere was ours. Lay off. Many countries in Central and South America have resented that, and they have reached out to try to build alliances with other countries around the world, China being the biggest. China has come into a number of Central and South American countries. They bought up mining rights. They put the countries in debts to China. They've taken over, for example, management of the, of the Panama Canal. And the Chinese have been turning a blind eye in countries where they've heavily invested to the growing influence of corruption, the growing influence of gangs like MS-13. In Guatemala, Honduras, and Nicaragua, and parts of them, and in Mexico, of course, Mexico is rapidly becoming a completely failed state. Uh, people live with fear on a daily basis because the gangs are increasingly uh, in control of things. Uh, you've got politicians in certain countries who can't speak up about the gangs because the gangs leave them alive. They kill their wives and children. And the countries aren't capable of dealing with the situation. Their militaries have grown corrupt. Their political leaders have grown corrupt. You know, the United States has been very hands-off Central and South America. We accepted a position after the Pinochet that we could not build alliances with the strong men of Central and South America because of the Carter Doctrine that we had to tie humanitarian assistance and, and human rights to aid packages. Frankly, 
some of these country need pro-America strongmen who are willing to root out the gangs and put them on helicopters, maybe drop them in the ocean. I don't know. Do something. Round up the gangs and shut them down. They need American assistance. They need American guidance. Who do you want these people to be forming alliances with? Uh, the Americans or the Chinese? Venezuela is a failed state. It's cooperating with communists around the world, including China. These areas are being destabilized and people are fleeing and they're heading to the United States. It is not necessarily that they all want to come here. It's that they can't stay at home. They fear for their lives. We could spend way less money in foreign aid and support of these countries than we spend building the wall. Yeah, you heard me right. It would be far less expensive to actually engage with these countries militarily and diplomatically than it would to build a wall based on the projected costs of the wall. But everybody wants to fight about the wall and fight about the illegal immigrants or not even call them illegal immigrants or they want to fight about the terms of the caravan or speculate as to who's funding the caravan when the fact is the vast majority of people in this caravan are fleeing failed and failing states in Central and South America, and those states are failing or failed because we as a nation decided that we had to have clean, pure hands. You know what? Probably it's time for us to get our hands dirty because China is perfectly willing to, and I don't want China building military bases on our doorstep, which is eventually what's going to happen if we don't reinstate the Monroe Doctrine. It is 26 after the hour. Welcome back. Now, when we come back, the lawsuit, the Democrats are filing a lawsuit to overturn the election in Georgia. I don't think they have a case. This is not Stacey Abrams related. I'll tell you why they're doing it and why they're probably not going to be successful when we come back. So Democrats, and it is Democrats, folks. It's a supposed nonpartisan group out of Colorado. It is very left-leaning. It is Democrats. They are trying to overturn the election in Georgia. They have actually filed a lawsuit to overturn the election in Georgia, specifically the lieutenant governor's election in Georgia. The reason they say they want to do this is because the lieutenant governor's race got about 2 million less votes than the governor's race and a million less than other statewide races. So basically the governor's race generated uh, 3.9 million votes cast. The other statewide races got about 3.8 million votes cast. The lieutenant governor's race got about 3.7 million votes cast. And so this progressive group's theory is that there clearly was some issue with the voting machines, uh, there was clearly a technological issue that caused this to happen. And as it caused this to happen, they undervoted and we need a new election because of the undervote. Now, this is a bunch of hooey, you should understand. Uh, this is all a bunch of hooey. The reason that they're saying this is simply the undervote. That's it. They have no other basis for saying this. I have another basis for saying this. You had 1.5 million or so new voters come into this election who have not voted before. These are people who do not vote, have not voted, and probably will never vote again. 
And we're to believe that these people saw governor and lieutenant governor and knew they were separate races and separate people in separate categories? Or did they think that it was the governor and the fallback governor and they voted for governor, so why do they need to vote for the fallback governor? Because they already voted for the governor. I mean, we're, we're talking about an, un, an influx of new people who've never voted before, and we're to think that they're smart. And, and I don't mean that disparagingly. Seriously, we're, we're talking about people who've never voted before, and we're asking, we're presuming that they understood the process. They understood that there actually is a governor and a lieutenant governor, neither of whom they've ever voted before, as opposed to, huh, I've already voted for governor. Why do I need to vote for lieutenant governor? Let me move on to secretary of state. I mean, that's just as plausible as the machines cause problems. It's actually more plausible than that the machines cause problems because the machines counted all the other votes. You have to presume that there were 2 million votes in this state cast on machines that for some reason didn't register a lieutenant governor's spot but registered all the others. It's actually far more likely to presume, Occam's razor, that they just didn't vote in the lieutenant governor's race. And yet the Democrats are filing suit. This is the same progressive activist group that's been trying to get these voting machines thrown out of Georgia. They're already on the way out, but they continue to cause trouble. They continue to drive up the cost for taxpayers through these just willfully ignorant lawsuits. But that's what they're doing. I don't think Jeff Duncan has anything to worry about. I think it's far more likely it was new voters who didn't understand that the lieutenant governor's race is something separate from the governor's race, not a continuation on the ballot line. Um, that's far more likely to believe than that all of these machines were able to count all the votes for all of these races, but not for that race. That just sounds nonsensical. Real quick data point for you. Um, the minimum estimate for the wall is going to be $7 billion, uh, upward estimates of $11 billion. Right now in El Salvador, Guatemala, Nicaragua, Honduras, and Mexico, we spend $650 million in foreign aid total. Uh, we could spend a billion additional dollars in those countries in addition to what they're already getting and still spend way less than on the wall, but we still ought to build the wall too. More on that when we come back. It is 8 after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number is 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. Uh, early voting has begun in the Secretary of State and the Public Service Commission runoff. You need to vote, folks. And the line is nothing. Um, you can get in and out in 15 minutes max, probably, in your early voting locations. You need to go vote. Um, look at what the Democrats in Georgia are doing. They are suing to overturn an election in the state of Georgia uh, because one, one race, the lieutenant governor's race, didn't get as many votes as the other races, and therefore it needs to be overturned. Can you imagine... If a Democrat were Secretary of State right now, he'd be bending over backwards to legitimize uh, the Democrats trying to throw out an election. It's just pitiful to see. 
And you need to go vote for Brad Raffensperger. You need to vote for Chuck Eaton as well, who's a great guy, by the way, Chuck Eaton is. Uh, You need to go vote for these guys. Uh, Early voting has begun. You fundamentally need to go vote in this race. Uh, You need to make it happen. Make time this week or next to go early vote. Uh, Don't just rely on, on same day or day of voting. Do early voting. I assure you, the Democrats are mobilizing in action, and we are going to schedule a time for Brad Raffensperger to be on the program to be able to speak with you himself. Let's move into a discussion of crime and punishment, shall we? A woman in Monroe County, and it turns out I was sitting at Wild Wings Cafe last night having a beer with a buddy of mine, uh, and this woman's lawyer came at me who is actually someone I, I knew from college and law school. Uh, a woman was driving in Monroe County, which is in the mid-state. It is just north of, of Macon, uh, Forsyth. This is one of the weird things about Georgia. Have you ever noticed in Georgia that there are cities and there are counties that have the same name and they're never together? So you have Forsyth County north of Atlanta. You've got Forsyth, Georgia, which is in middle Georgia. You've got Monroe, Georgia, which is to the east of Atlanta. You've got Monroe County, Georgia, which is where Forsyth is. You've got um, Carroll and Carrollton are the closest I can find, except there's a Carroll, Georgia, and it's not in uh, Carroll County. There's a Douglasville and a Douglas, Georgia, and, and Douglas County, and they're all completely unrelated. Uh, it's just it, it's a weird dynamic, nonetheless. So Monroe County, Georgia, the county seat is Forsyth, Georgia. It is in Middle Georgia. Woman gets pulled over by the cops. They say she's looking nervous. They find a bag. And it has a blue powdery substance. They use a field test. And the field test comes back positive for methamphetamines. So she goes to jail. And she sits there for three months because she cannot make bail. I believe it was a $100,000 bail. She sits in jail for three months waiting for the Georgia Bureau of Investigation to test the blue powdery substance to find out what exactly it is. For three months, she sits there. And it turns out it's cotton candy. That's what she told the police. They didn't believe her. They said she was acting nervous. Well, now there is a lawsuit, as you can imagine. Now, why is there a lawsuit? The lawsuit is because the field test used by the police to test for meth apparently is well known, according to the lawsuit at least, to return a very, very high probability of false positives. There are other field tests that are used by law enforcement that do not turn such a high positive, uh, false positive. False positive is where it tests positive and it's really not. There are other, there are other drug tests out there that can be used in the field that don't return such a high false positive. But in Monroe County, they use this test. And according to the lawyer, it returns and is known to return and is known to be completely unreliable because of the high false positive it returns. This woman sat in jail for three months waiting for that to be tested. There is 
a lot of talk. This is related to there's criminal justice reform legislation winding its way through Congress. Mike Lee is one of the principal sponsors of it. It is vehemently opposed by Tom Cotton, the senator from Arkansas, who actually makes some very good points about it, um, although I think many of his points are more about federal criminal law to begin with as opposed to the actual reforms. Um, here's the thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, a buddy of mine points out, did this Did this person who was in jail in Monroe County have prior uh, criminal convictions uh, that or run-ins that may have had something to do with it? I actually don't know the answer to that, and it may very well. Uh, according to the police report at the time, uh, it was her arrest was based on the fault. She's acting very nervous, suspicious, and then you had the false positive on the on the cotton candy of all things they were on their way home from the georgia fair which is why the cotton candy was in the car anyway uh so there is nationwide now this move for criminal justice reform at the federal level and i've got to tell you i agree with senator cotton on some of his concerns but i have a larger concern i've read and reread article one section eight of the constitution that defines the powers of Congress. And it seems to me that Congress has very limited jurisdiction to create criminal law in this country. Did you know, by the way, it wasn't until after the assassination of John F. Kennedy that it became a federal law that you can't assassinate the president of the United States? Until then, it was a state law. It was state law. Just We we had very small criminal law in the United States. I will tell you my biggest issue with criminal law in the U.S. is this. Business law has become criminalized in this country. Take the Gibson guitar situation where they were buying wood from Indonesia and using that wood to turn it into guitars. Uh, Indonesia had sanctioned it, but it was otherwise uh, against the law to export that particular type of wood from Indonesia. And there was a treaty between the United States and Indonesia that made it a crime to violate the laws of Indonesia. And even though Indonesia had sanctioned the, the importation or the exportation of Indonesian wood into the United States because it was actually against the law in Indonesia, even though this company got an exemption, uh, the company was prosecuted for it. it, 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 it they had no idea. They, they followed the law in Indonesia. They didn't comply with a treaty with Indonesia. They didn't even know there was. I didn't know there was a treaty with Indonesia until this came up. Business law in this country has become criminalized. It is harder and harder for people to do business. It drives up the cost of doing business. It was nice to see um, some of the business regulations passed by Congress in the past rolled back by this past Congress uh, that President Trump signed into law repealing those regulations. But by and large, the federal government's ability to enforce criminal law in this country has gotten out of hand. You know what else I disagree with? I really disagree with the the uniform standards for imprisonment in this country. And suddenly it escapes me the actual term. I think that you appoint judges. They are vetted by Congress. They are confirmed by the Senate that they should be able to judge the facts of a case without having these uniform standards saying, oh, you did this, you did this, you did this, you did this. Mandatory sentencing, yes. Um, this is suddenly your mandatory sentence. I think that's. I think we should rely on the judges. And the reason I think we should rely on the judges is the same reason I hate this sort of stuff in public schools where the good kid who happens to bring an Advil to school one day is treated just like the kid who's known to be the drug dealer. It is, I think, 
nonsensical for us to treat every single person the same when it comes to these situations because, you know, there are some people who screw up, but they're good people, and there are some people who are habitual offenders, and we shouldn't be treating them all the same. We should actually show more grace to the person who made a real screw-up as opposed to being a, a willfully, wantonly bad person. It does us no good to incentivize good behavior of kids in public schools when we're treating the good kids and the bad kids all the same. And we as a society abdicate our role in using good judgment and discretion and saying, you know what, this is a good person who screwed up. We should not throw the book at them. They do not deserve this mandatory minimum. I'm really against that. And, and the Supreme Court has come very close to striking down mandatory minimums in the past, and I think they should. Uh, and I think that we should, by and large, roll back most criminal laws on the federal books because that is the purview of the states. Criminal justice is the purview of the states. The federal government does not have cops. It has the FBI. It's a Bureau of Investigation, not a police task force. We should roll back federal criminal law altogether and rely on the states to do it and stop putting mandatory sentencing in with judges, if you don't like that a judge is too weak on crime, impeach him and throw him off the bench. He's not there for uh, until he commits a high crime or misdemeanor. He's there for a period of good behavior. It's bad behavior and impeach him. This allows Congress to abdicate its own responsibility. It's 26 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. By the way, if you are a regular listener of this program, you will find this funnier than most. On Thursday, do you know the one thing I forgot to make on Thursday for Thanksgiving? I did almost all of the cooking. Uh, Christy made some pies, uh, put the sweet potato souffle together, and she was worn out. She had, had a long motorcycle ride on Wednesday, so I volunteered to do all the other cooking, and I got really busy. I made mac and cheese, had to check on the sweet potatoes, had the turkey going, uh, made the mashed potatoes, made the green beans, uh, made the, the skillet fried corn, and totally forgot the gravy. The thing that I am most known for in cooking in Atlanta my gravy recipe, and I'd put together ahead of time, brown the onions and the butter like I tell y'all to do, and totally forgot to actually finish the gravy. We were halfway through lunch, and one of my nieces said, Uncle Eric, where's the gravy? I'd totally forgotten to make it. That's where. <laughs> when we come back, the Stacey Abrams lawsuit. Where, the, where is it? What's happening? It is 39 after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number is 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. We're going first to Patrick from Marietta. Welcome, Patrick. How are you? Hey, Eric. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Hey, I got a couple of things about the, the lawsuit you mentioned about the lieutenant governor's race. So the first thing, I guess, I, I thought about a second one on the phone. So the first one was, I know a lot of people, my wife included, where they won't vote for somebody if they don't know the name or they've never seen the name before, or never don't know what their policies are. So that could have been a contributing factor to this under vote yeah. that uh, the lawsuit's all about, of course. I think 
you had mentioned another reason, but I wanted to see if you agree or disagree. Oh, yeah. That. Look, I, I completely agree with that. Uh, when you look at some of these statewide races, there was a lot of buzz for the Secretary of State's race. Uh, and so it got votes. And then you've got these Public Service Commission races or uh they generate buzz and controversy. The lieutenant governor's race slides under the radar to a degree. But there's there's another issue here that I think undermines their point. Uh, my understanding, uh, and a buddy of mine text messaged me, says he looked into this, and I trust him, that this undervote wasn't just on the electronic machines. It was on the, the paper ballots as well, uh, provisional ballots and absentee ballots in the early voting. So it wasn't just the machines. And if that's the case, it's real hard to actually say that this was a machine issue, that it was clearly people chose not to vote in that race. And yet, could be people didn't know these people, they weren't sure, they, they didn't like them, what have you. And it could also very well be, I think, you had a lot of new voters and like, what on earth is lieutenant governor? Why am I voting in the lieutenant governor's race? And all of those things together could bear some responsibility for it. Now, as to the Stacey Abrams lawsuit, the Abrams lawsuit is separate. It has not been filed. They are working on building a nonprofit. They want to make a case for changes in the system. It seems very much to me like the Democrats are just out to be sore losers and undermine the election. And it's just like in 2016. The Democrats said that it was an affront to our democracy for Donald Trump to undermine our democracy by calling into question the election. And the moment the election was over, the Democrats were the ones undermining democracy by calling into question the election. And everybody gave them a pass on it. Same thing is happening here as well. Uh, and then, of course, there is this race in Mississippi, Mike Espy against Cindy Hyde-Smith. I want to be up front and tell you, I think Cindy Hyde-Smith is a blithering idiot. Uh, this is not a bright woman. This is not a woman who is anything other than a, an elderly tool of the establishment who can be led in to vote the right way as far as Republicans are concerned. And I got to tell you, I think that she is being uh, smeared unfairly in a lot of it. And I'm not defending everything. But a lot of what she is being targeted with are, are products of the Democrats purely trying to drive up racial animosity in order to stoke the black vote in Mississippi. Because you see, in Mississippi, overwhelmingly, uh, black voters tend not to be engaged in the electoral process. And so they are hoping for a replay of the Roy Moore situation in Alabama. They are trying to drive up um, black votes for the Democrat and trying to suppress the white vote against uh, Cindy in Mississippi. That's exactly what's happening there. And they are willing to smear this woman with every unsubstantiated, half-true uh, accusation they can raise against her. It is willful character assassination, all designed to build racial animosity in Mississippi and drive up the black vote and suppress the white vote. And it is shocking to me to see a number of conservatives running away from her as far as possible. Say, oh, she's just we can't support her either. You know, th there were real credible accusations against Roy Moore in Alabama, and I refused to support him. In fact, I had endorsed him originally and, and pulled the endorsement. So there's no way that this man deserves to be in the Senate. Uh, and I can't say that for, for Cindy Hyde-Smith. I think she's a blithering idiot, but I don't think much more highly of Mike Espy. And, and he would absolutely be a progressive activist senator and would move the Mississippi delegation to the left 
and she would be a far more competent senator. And most of the smears and accusations against her are flat-out distortions of things she has said in the past or done. And now they're attacking her because her parents put her in a white school during desegregation. And, and clearly she's to blame for the choices of her parents way back in the 1950s. This is what the Democrats do. You either are on their side or any little thing you or your family has ever done is fair game to try to destroy you. And it is absolutely unacceptable. And hopefully the Republicans will win in Mississippi tomorrow. You know, we've also got this runoff in Georgia. I mentioned earlier that uh, early voting has begun in Georgia. And you really do need to take time out and go vote if you can. Because the Democrats are desperate, desperate to take charge of the Secretary of State's office. And we don't need that to happen in Georgia. They are also desperate to get a Democrat on the Public Service Commission, and we don't need that either. I don't always agree with the decisions made at the Public Service Commission, but by and large, I think they do a very good job of striking a balance between uh, consumers and the businesses that we have to rely on for public utilities. And the reason the Democrats want someone on the Public Service Commission is not actually to change minds there, but to grandstand and draw sharp partisan contrasts Uh, to try to make it look like that the current Republican members don't have the best interests of Georgia at heart. And frankly, I think many of the people who are there were Democrats in the past and are now suddenly Republicans. It's not like they've changed ideologies and they've done a good job for a number of years there. It's just partisan grandstanding. And that goes full circle to the beginning of this program. The complaints about the border right now and the Border Patrol firing pepper spray into these crowds that are trying to storm the border. They did the exact same thing under Barack Obama, and none of the people suddenly upset about it. Oh, we're such a terrible people now. The United States, shame on us. They were perfectly fine when Barack Obama did it. It is because this is a religion to so many people, and the wrong gods are in charge now. And as long as the Democratic gods are in charge and raining down the pepper spray from the heavens above, they're okay with it. It's the wrong gods in charge now, and they've got to repent and beg for their gods back. It is, it is, people have traded religion for politics, and everything in politics now is treated as a religious act, and you're either a heretic or you're on the right side, and the Democrats are intent on burning the infidels, driving them out. I mean, look at Twitter purging conservatives for daring to say boys can't become girls. It's all part of this religious takeover of the Democratic Party where they are held hostage to greater zealots than they've ever seen in the Republican Party, and their zealots just happen to be worshiping the gods of atheism, which, by the way, is in and of itself a religion. I want to put a story on your radar. We did not have a lot of time to spend on this tonight. We're not going to. Tomorrow we will spend more time. I suspect we'll be talking about this story a lot over the next couple of months. There is a very dangerous situation shaping up in the Ukraine, or in Ukraine, I guess I'm now supposed to say. Uh, Ukraine. Russia and Ukraine are moving closer and closer to war. And you can say, stay out of it. You can say side with the Russians. Here's the problem. Ukraine is a partner, an ally. If we let the Russians invade Ukraine, they're going to be emboldened 
and they're going to interpret it as America's glory days are over. We can reestablish our Eastern European hegemony. And our Eastern European allies, who are way more pro-America than Western Europe, they're going to start looking around and wondering what's going on, and it could completely destabilize not just Europe, but more of the world. We very much need to try to defuse that situation, and I don't know that we're able to. I don't know that the president wants to. He's become so pro-Russian, defensive of, of the media. We're going to have to do something. Pay attention to this story, folks. 